You're listening to A Conversation on Modern Measures of Learning, a podcast that inspires educators to explore the paradigm shift in instructional, assessment, and grading practices. My name is Eric Patnodes, and I'm sitting down with educators to talk about their process, their lessons they've learned, and how to use failure as the seed to growth and success. Welcome, everybody. This is A Conversation on Modern Measures of Learning. Uh, as always, this is Eric Patnodes. And today I have a couple of guests, uh, a, a two-person uh, guest episode, which I'm really excited. This is the first time I'm trying something like that. Uh, but there are a couple of Illinois educators who are uh, deeply immersed in the standards-based grading uh, world. And so we're going to dive into all kinds of really um, interesting topics about what's going well and more importantly, what's not going so well and how they overcame those things. So I'm going to pause there and let uh, Mary Beth and Josh introduce themselves real quick. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thanks for having us, Eric. Uh, My name is Josh Halverson, and I am the technology coordinator for Wooddale School District 7, which is located, uh, for those of you in the Chicagoland area, just outside uh, O'Hare Airport in northeastern DuPage County. Um, And before I was a tech coordinator, I I taught second grade and fourth grade and was an instructional coach. Hello, everyone. I'm Mary Beth Kaderna, Curriculum Director. Um, I have been a teacher, instructional coach, principal. Um, I've worked in the same school district for over 20 years. Um, I did begin my career um, originally in Kansas uh, before coming to Illinois. Uh, To tell you a little bit more about Wooddale, um, our demographics, we are Hispanic population um, a couple years ago has surpassed our white population. And within that, we have about 52% Hispanic. We have 60% low income in our school district. Uh, We have in the white population, um, we have uh, Polish, about 17% Polish. So we're very diverse, especially for the county um, that we live in. We love the diversity. Um, it brings on challenges, but it also brings on a lot of um, great things as well that we're, be, we're able to um, collaborate with and um, the individuals in our community. Yeah, it's so cool. I had no idea that Wooddale was so diverse. Um, 70% Polish. So when you have a, say, um, uh, an ELL class, does that mean you have both um, Hispanic and Polish uh, interpreters or teachers who can speak Polish as well as uh, A lot of that has changed over um, the last probably 15 years. We do have um, dual language classrooms. So we have one-way dual that's going up into sixth grade, so which is Spanish and dominant English speakers. We call them because we have some kids that will be trilingual. And then we have two-way dual going to second grade next year. Almost all of our teachers, we've worked over the last five to six years in um, getting them all pretty much ESL endorsed by hiring them um, or and or our school board did pay for 12 of our teachers to go back and get their ESL endorsements. So even though we may not have kids that qualify as ELL learners, 
they definitely are in transition or um, they live in homes that speak another language. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, do you guys get a chance to celebrate any of the the Polish culture or heritage? I, I once had the opportunity to attend a um, Polish, I think it was a Christmas, and the food was, oh my God, amazing. Do kids ever bring in any Polish food? Oh yeah, food? definitely from my experiences in the classroom, you get the uh, the Polish food. Uh, you know, we celebrate Kazimierz Pulaski Day up here and... Um, I've definitely received my fair share of Polish chocolates. My personal favorite is uh, the Vuvu bar, which is kind of like the Polish version of the Kit Kat, which pretty much puts the Kit Kat to shame. I will state that. Oh, wow. Wow. I love Kit Kats. I'm going to have to find one of those. Um, Kolachkis are always my favorite. We have an aunt that uh, makes Kolachkis, and uh, I can just Mm -hmm. down those things all day. Um, All right. So... Like I said, uh, we're going to talk about standards-based grading, uh, standards-based learning today. And I know you guys have a lot of experience with standards-based grading. So for those who are um, maybe just, um, you know, starting a standards-based learning initiative or those who are interested in learning more about a standards-based approach, um, what does standards-based learning mean to you? What is it... um, when you think about it, if you had your, like a standards-based learning elevator pitch, uh, how would you articulate that? I'm glad you started with the learning. Um, you switched over from grading to the learning. And that's what I feel like is the most important. It's about the learning and it's about the everyday learning with kids and how to help them grow. Then it is about the end result of the grading. Um, I feel like we put and have put for years so much emphasis on the grading portion of it. And we've been doing standards-based, I would say we emphasize for over 10 years. And I think at the beginning, we put more emphasis on the grading than on the learning portion just in our pitches to parents. Because at that time, there weren't a lot of people that were doing standards-based grading. So it was a big shift in that are actually we do not give traditional letter grades pre-k through eighth grade and i guess i should say for everyone else out there that in illinois this is unique to illinois there's not a lot of consolidated districts where either it's either pre-k to eight and then high school districts so that was unique from where i came from because i was very Mm -hmm. used to consolidated districts so we only go up into until eight to eighth grade um our kids transition then into a, a different district for high school. Okay. Um, so I definitely have a question about that, but I, I want to dig even further into the standards-based learning. Um, so I'm sure your obviously your experience with standards-based learning um, has, has changed over the last 10 years or more. When you describe standards-based learning to someone who's relatively new to the topic, how do you explain the difference between standards-based learning and maybe a a more traditional approach? Well, there are standards. Um, We do have standards in Illinois, um, pretty much all over the nation. And it's not just about looking at the entire concept of social studies or the the entire concept of math. It's breaking it down into those standards, having very clear targets 
And then you um, are working towards the, those targets with students. It's very clear to, it should be very clear to parents, very clear to students, very clear to the teacher, full transparency, and then how to scaffold that learning to get to that target or beyond. And what's the next target then if you're going to enrich um, for students or um, accelerate? And that's also what I would say is I keep coming to the word transparent. By being transparent and um, making sure that all stakeholders are on the same page in knowing what the student can actually do with their learning since it's tied to a very specific standard, it helps both the parents, administration, and the teachers all know exactly where each individual student is at and not just necessarily viewed as a whole demographic and how you can then push the learning forward based upon where they're currently at. Talk for a second about how it's different um, knowing where your kids are at. You said there's that transparency. Do you feel like you know where your kids are um, more accurately on a day-to-day -day basis with standards-based learning versus uh, you know, a, a more traditional grading approach? I definitely think so. Um, a, a, a specific example I can give is uh, my nieces back home still are on traditional grades. And so my sister uh, recently shared with me their latest report card. And their report card was pretty traditional based upon how most of us grew up with individual subjects. And within each subject, they had uh, a letter, a standard letter grade. And while she, she had shared the report card with me because my nieces had gotten straight A's. Uh, there was what, one A minus, a B, um, and the one niece actually got a B plus. And so my response to her while I was congratulating them, as I said, I wanted to ask my sister, I said, so what do you know that they know? And what do you know that they don't know? And she kind of looked at me like, well, what do you mean? I'm supposed to know what, what they don't know. And I'm like, well, this just says math, A minus. I'm like, why isn't it an A? What, what, what do they still need assistance with? And she could not articulate that to me. And so this is where my sister loves having an educator brother is I, we got into this big conversation about the differences of traditional grading and standards-based uh, learning and how it actually informs everyone to where they need to be. So for example, on um, our progress report, uh, we would have a standard that may say something like can um, add double digit addition numbers fluidly or something like that. By having an individual score within a specific standard area, um, mm -hmm. you know exactly what the student can accomplish and what they're still struggling with. All right, and I think it would, I think it's important too to know that um, before standards, it was varied on what that clear target was. And then the formative assessment piece um, versus the, you know, like the end of the year unit test, the formative assessment is the most important. And so that kids rubrics, using rubrics and having clear understanding and giving the students the rubrics ahead of time um, so that they know. And then having that, those clear learning intentions of what it is and then how what is what is the success criteria and what is the what is the performance that you want to see 
and building that with the students so that they have a they have an understanding of that. And um, specifically for us in our population, it, we have a lot of second language parents, a lot of parents that work second shift, second, you know, two jobs and um, very busy that we really need to build that within our students um, and and work with our parents. But it's really important that we build that within our students as well to make them independent learners and have them participate in self-assessment um, and, and all of that piece. Yes. Yeah, the, the ownership and the learning is huge. And if you can, you can get kids um, right. to understand uh, what they're doing well versus, you know, what they need to improve on, again, going back to Josh's, you know, transparency, um, that's not just good for teachers or parents, but the students, I think, really benefit from that. Right. And that's why I think, Eric, if I just in talking to people over the over the 10 years is I feel like when we first started this, we were really, we had a committee of 25. Now we're a small district. We have 1,200 students and, and we're considered a mid-sized district. <laughs> um, but I really felt like we were just getting, we were taught, it was emotion. The emotion was talking at the beginning. Um, we didn't have the same grading scales. I mean, some of the percentages from grades to grades were different. Um, we wanted to, it was, it, we were all over the place. Um, so that's where we used you know, Rick Warmelli's work, um, Ken O'Connor's work. We read a lot of that and came to some common ground on what we wanted, um, you know, different grading practices to be. And now that we have those principles, but I felt like we were at the beginning that we were, it was, a, it was this tug and it was more about, um, you know, make putting our stake in th the motion there was just so much emotion and over time especially at our middle school level where you know separating the effort or the behavior from the grade we were doing a lot of punishing kids within the academic grade and it took us a really long time like i'm talking i would still i'm I'm, it's been less the last couple of years, but I there were still conversations that I was having with people uh, or I would walk into a building or I would talk and I would say, where did that come from? Like, we haven't done that in six years. But what that told me was, is that we needed to go back and have those individual conversations and have that all and have that maybe workshop at the building or or find out, you know, where why do people feel that way and how can we get them to move? And I think this time around, we just redid our um, marking scale and we eliminated exceeds. So we have mastery approaching and um, does not meet. And that's going to go into place for next year. And I was not in love with the marking scale. The several of the teachers weren't the first one that I mean, we were still using the one that we had um, when we first started. And it was a number four, three, two, one. And really more and more of the teachers over time, as they were learning more and really going into this concept, they were um, seeing the the scale and, and some of the things. So it, it's easier this time. And, and all of those things, I look back and I say, 
wow, you know, all of those things I learned from, I think the coaches learn from all of that history and, and going into it this time. And I'm, I'm doing the standards based roadshow, I call it where I'm going to the different buildings and I'm just kind of resetting everything. And I will be going, you know, next year, I'm going to go back through. And I, I'm just telling them that, I mean, full transparency, even with me and saying that, you know what, these are all the things we've learned. We were going through this, um, also, if you remember, it was like a drinking from a fire hose because all the new standards were coming out. It was reading came out and math came out and it was just all of the all of that, you know, all at once. And I think that um, just saying, OK, here are the things. And if you don't understand these concepts, that's OK. Or if you don't, if this is where you're at, that's OK. We want to come and work with you individually or come and talk with you. But the argument of whether we're going to do standards-based grading or or not is kind of, that's over. Because 10 years ago as a district, we decided now we have to, and I've really been trying to come out with not even addressing the grading portion and just talking about the learning. This time, really just working with the learning and things that needs to happen in their PLCs and things that we need to build within, you know, our, our mapping, because we're starting to remap our units um, again. So for, for those people who know me, they know that I love to speak in, in analogies, Eric. And one that I always like to use is, you know, standards-based, um, for those people who are not currently standards-based, it is a messy process and it is not easy at the beginning. But if you think of it like, um, you know, remodeling a house, for example, it, it, traditional grading, if you're living in a house that needs updating and like a gut rehab, it's falling apart, you know, it's got mustard yellow appliances, the old school avocado phone with the 40 foot long <laughs> cord, okay? That's pretty much traditional grading. And sure, you can still live in that world, but everybody wants the new contemporary streamlined house. Well, in order to get from traditional to standards base, you need to do the gut rehab. And it is a messy, dusty, dirty sort of process. But once you get to that end result, everybody is in love with the house, you know, that they're living with because they can see the benefit. And, you know, it's having it been, I've been in the district for 10 years and I came in right when the district was first switching over into standards base. So to see that transition over the last decade of, you know, the old standards based grading scale that we're kind of wrapping up this year with the 4321 and seeing people evolve um, as teachers and their own professional development and understanding like, oh yeah, what is the difference? You know, for example, our three was students making progress, four was the students achieving grade level, and a two is was um, student is below grade level but making progress. And all of a sudden, staff were having these epiphanies like, well, what's really the difference between a two and a three? And we were like, aha, yes, you know, like, Yes. So this is why we got into this whole restructuring now again, because everybody needs to be on the same page. But I feel every every year we get closer and closer to that, you know, true remodel. And uh, well, we're excited. And to be honest, going moving into Otis and creating our assessments in Otis 
and tagging standards and then looking at, we have a three-year rollout plan um, of fully full integration into Otis and our parents, um, you know, looking at progress reports in there after next year and so forth. That has really helped us to transition and for teachers, for us to really look at our practices. And um, we're very excited because one of the things that the teachers, we call it the Project Otis uh, Committee um, or Project Leads, I guess. Um, one of the things that we're really talking about now is, you know, we're hoping that there's a time um, that parents will just go in and we can, we're on trimesters and we wouldn't say, OK, on November or whatever, this is when um, the progress report's going to go out, that we're going to be able to go in there at any time. Parents are going to be able to see what standards, how their students are doing, and we're going to have full transparency um, within that. So that has really helped us to be more, even more clear. Yeah, there's definitely way too much. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's way too much emphasis on the progress report in American education, I believe. And really, it should just be a snapshot of how that student is performing at that given moment in time. Instead, it's all of this buildup of earning points or e even if you're standards base, uh, it seems like because this is kind of where we have come from is trying to figure out what that score needs to be on that final progress report at the end of the trimester. And I feel like when you're still in that way of thinking, you're in the transition still. Mm -hmm. So really seeing that as it, it shouldn't matter whether the, the progress report or report card comes out on any date, it is just a snapshot of how that student is doing at that very moment on those specific standards. And it could change. It could go up. It could go down. It depends on how the student uh, performs moving forward. I, I love Lisa Westman's um, analogy. Uh, I think I, I don't know that it was in her book, but I saw it on the website or her website or whatever. Account? And she thought, yeah, oh, I, was I just love bring that. that up. I, I, I use that. I have used that on my road show. I've used it so many times. And every, you see everyone's head nodding up and down because I talk about in district, like with our health insurance, you know, we get we can go on and we could. Oh, no, that that's another one. Sorry. That's another analogy I use. But but that definitely is you get text messages, how she said, you know, if your bank account, uh, if you're withdrawn yeah. or. Yeah. So, I love so tell analogy. us more about the analogy. So she talks about how when you get your bank statement, it's already old um, because you've you know written checks or you've used your debit card. So on that day, it's already old. So if you when you get the progress report, you on that day, you teachers have already given more assessments. There's been more learning that's happened, and if um, you're withdrawn on your bank account. You're not going to wait and look at that day. You're going to get text messages. You're going to get emails. There's going to be something that's going to tell you, um, you know, what, what is happening within your bank account. And if you take that over to um, the, the learning, you know, there's, if you're, you're going to tell a parent, even if you don't have a system, you can't, you're going to, 
the student's going to know in the classroom, you're going to communicate that or the parent. So that's really just a moment in time when you're looking at that progress report. When you think about that, I was just thinking, you know, it's interesting because a lot of districts, I would say uh, uh, nationally, have moved away from the idea of purchasing like textbooks for that exact reason, right? We all say we don't buy textbooks because we're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars. And as soon as you get them, they're outdated because of the print. But yet, even though we've made that transition to electronic resources, um, for many of us, we don't necessarily apply that when it comes to grading. That's a, no, that's a great example. I had never thought about it in that way, but it's, it's really uh, essentially the same concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, there's yep. a lot, there's a lot, uh, to unpack. You guys were really wheeling and dealing there for the last few minutes. Um, <laughs> that, it, it was, that was great. Um, can you tell we're in the middle of yeah, our road no, show? I love it. This is, yeah. this is beautiful. Um, so one thing that I think it's worth circling back to is, um, the idea of that traditional grading and how um, an A in one class with one teacher um, might look differently in another class because every teacher is teaching at their own pace, um, they're assessing differently, they're grading differently. And so with that more you know, points-based or percentage-based uh, grading approach, do you feel like there's some inaccuracies or maybe there's a better word to, to describe what I'm asking, but is, is there enough consistency to know that, you know, an 89 in this class is the same as an 89 across the hall and does standards-based learning help address that? Well, first off, we don't do points or percentages. Um, that's not something we are clearly, all of our rubrics and everything is based on, um, you know, the mastery. No, no, no I'm sorry. Uh, no, I got that. But I mean, just like generally speaking, Oh, not necessarily like that you guys are doing the points or the percentage. I would say yes to answer the question is it all goes back to the grade scale and it is very important as to how you have that grade scale written. So if I look at our, uh, our transition to our current grade scale that goes into effect next year. So we previously used to use the one, two, three, four. So one was student was working below grade level, not making progress. Two was student was working below grade level and making progress three was student was making progress, and four was student is achieving the standard. And like I had said previously, people were starting to get very confused between the two and the three. And then in addition to that, we had an exceeds category if you were exceeding the standard. So when we remet this year, we um, developed this new grade scale. The new scale is a three-point scale. It's not meeting, approaching, and mastery. And we worked very hard on the definition or the key that is being used within that grade scale. So that way it is very obvious to all stakeholders, including the teachers that are giving the score to create that form of consistency. So with the new scale approaching is the student is working, is unable to meet end of the year standards with supports in place. 
um, approaching is student is able to meet the end of the year standard with support and mastery is student is able to achieve um, the end of year uh, standard without support, so independently. So it is very clean cut as to where everyone should fall depending on the individual standard that you're looking at. Basically, can they do it? Yes or no. And then can they do it by themselves or with okay. support? Well, and then I think in their, in their PLCs, uh, in their teams, then they're going to need to have very clear what does that mean? What does what does with support and not support mean? Those are going to be have to be very clear terms mm -hmm. um, that they're going to have to come to consensus. And so those are terms that you come up with internally, correct? Okay. Correct. Yeah, and so so I I see the benefit that of that um, in my mind thinking about just you know I never taught in a standards based. Um, a district that was implementing standards-based learning initiative. But I would always wonder if I was a teacher that's not giving points for homework, but someone else is giving points for homework, um, isn't that going to throw off the consistency of our, our final letter grades at the end of the year? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's where coming up with your standards, we call them standards-based learning principles, like these are the these are the things that are the non-negotiables. Um, you know, the are you going to allow retakes, reteaching and retakes? Um, we don't allow extra credit. Uh, we don't give zeros. I mean, there's some there's some very obvious big things that you and we have. I'm just counting them up here. Probably eight, eighteen things that we um, that we all have an agreement on that these are the things that we're going to be consistent on and we're going to stay with and stick with. Yeah, so what I'm hearing a lot from you is that that unified vision of what this is going to look like um, and getting everybody on the same page is is like of the utmost importance. Would you say that if you could go back and do things again, you mentioned that you started with more of a standards-based grading approach and you feel now that it's really more about the learning. If you could go back and, and start from scratch or if you could give advice to a, a, a school who's just starting out, where would you where would you focus? The unified vision, the grading, the learning? How? Where would you advise them? I think I underestimated or we underestimated the emotional part of it. Um, and that took, and, you know, I try to tease through that because you always like learn from the past, right? And you want to, and I tease through that and I say, is that because at that time in our county, there wasn't a lot of people like it that were doing, I mean, now in, in our county, probably I would say 80% of um, you know, the at least the elementary districts are doing um, standards, the grading portion of that. But I definitely think that um, we were trying to do the understanding portion of it and getting the buy-in. And really the elementary, it was very easy. They, they came on board. They were already doing a lot of it really for our middle school. 
And I think the piece, even though we had, and it wasn't the parents because we had parent meetings, we had, it was really more within the teaching staff. Um, and we had some teachers that had been teaching for quite a while. There's been a lot of turnover. Um, and I just think that they're just as a whole, and I, I understand that and I get it. Um, that's where they were. And I think that if, if, um, it was just that whole idea that it was a it was a big change for them because they were you know they didn't have a lot of rubrics um they were still very much you know giving points and percentages and we we didn't we had a three year transition with them before they even went into not giving the traditional letter grade and um i really think that I can't put my finger on one specific thing other than the emotional part of that and just really talking to people about the way that, and there, the other emotional part was, well, what are they going to do when they get to high school? You know, is the high school doing this? And I will say that our high school um, within the last couple of years are moving to competency-based um, grading. So they are making more of these transitions and training. Uh, but I also like um, the analogy too that I heard um, Leanne Young use, and I did use that little snippet of the video um, that she talks about, um, you know, what does, what does this mean for going to college? And I used that snippet of that video when um, she was explaining about, well, you know what college is, they get grades from everywhere, international, uh, different high schools and they make that, you know, they, they know there's a, there's a, um, they have a strategy or they have an algorithm for the different high schools. So they, they know who will be successful and who not. And I think who will not. And I think that's, that's some of the, the emotional pieces that our middle school went through. And to piggyback off Mary Beth, I think we, sw we switched over in 2008. And so I think a lot of people were very emotion emotional during that time. Like, look at what was going on in education during that time. NCLB just came out. Common Core was being uh, introduced. So you had this complete shift in what was going on in the education sector and what was expected. I came out of my um elementary education program during that time frame and i was not even trained or introduced on many of these things during my time in college before i came into the classroom so in a sense i was learning with everyone else once i was in in the environment so you're 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 introducing standards base uh in that sort of environment where, you know, there's just so many new things coming at you, which going back, you know, when Mary Beth said, it's like a fire hydrant, you opened it up and it's just all of a sudden the floodgates are coming out. And I think people were emotional because they're trying to process all of this stuff that's coming at them. And now that the fire hose is slowing down a little bit and they're understanding what is expected, they can see the benefits with things and they know how to focus their energy into certain areas and they can see the benefit of how it's helping them in the end. Yeah, going back to Lisa Westman, she um, 
she did a, a, a podcast for us and she talks about how um, most educators are so familiar with letter grades and how grading works that it becomes almost part of their identity. So when you shift to standards-based grading, it's not only a systematic change, but it can affect the ego because it kind of alters their identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ye- yesterday on oh. Twitter, I came across this very funny tweet that someone had found. It was like, does anyone remember one of these? And it was that easy grader that we all had that was like, how many <laughs> points possible? And then you'd shift it, you know, slide it around, and then you would see how many problems were wrong and you'd write your percentage on top. And I remember when I was in my education program, that was like one of the defining moments for Mm -hmm. me when I went out and bought my easy grader at the teacher uh, store. Like this is official. This is going to be my easy grader I'm going to have for my whole career. And then I started working here in Wooddale. I don't think I've ever even, I don't even know where my easy grader is because it's null and void. I burned it. (laughs) (laughs) But when I saw that picture on Twitter, I thought to myself, wow, that was something so common in education that mint green colored uh-huh. easy grader and so i don't even know when the last time i've seen one like it looked like i was looking at a rotary phone when i saw it <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll have to uh i feel like that'd be a good image to include on the tweet when i send out your podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> i'll include oh. a, a pick of an easy grader oh. that'll be awesome um so Mary Beth, you mentioned the high school shifting to competency-based learning, and um, that's one thing that if people aren't really familiar uh, with standards-based or competency-based, um, it's not real clear how they differ. I, there's some overlap, and I think generally speaking, they're kind of like cousins, if you will, um, but there is definitely some differences. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to why um, if you're doing standards-based in K through eight, why the high school chose to do competency-based and not um, continue using standards-based learning? Honest, my honest answer is I think there's a lot of negative connotations because the other elementary district did um, about six years after us went into standards-based grading. And I just think out in the educational world, and um, there's been a lot of negative uh, vibes around the standards-based piece. I think they just changed the name <laughs> because they didn't. Oh, it's almost more of a marketing I thing. do. Yeah. And we, we've yeah. had those conversations because, you know, and we, again, we didn't have a lot. Most of our parents... Um, understood it, they got it, they liked it, they wanted it because it was more clear to them. And um, there were a handful and it was, I will say it was more of the parents that their kids were um, on the higher end, you know, and they were going into honors classes and AP classes and so forth. And, you know, like, what do you mean you're not going to have honor roll anymore because we got rid of that and so forth. So, um, I think that they were the ones that ha- I don't think I know they were the ones that had the toughest transitions. And those were the kids that were coming back. And they were 
associating the rigor of the homework at the high school, which by the way is also changing, the amount of work that they were getting, they were associating that with standards-based grading. And they, because we were, we had, we looked at that whole homework piece and what we were assigning and how we were assigning it and not giving grades for it and that whole thing. And I think now that piece the high school is looking at, but I just really feel like, yes, it was a marketing, more marketing but than I, anything. I also think on the other end of the spectrum, you also have the parents, um, you, you have, for example, the high school is realizing now that the shift has to take place. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that both of the districts that are feeding into it, you have students who have only ever had standards-based grading in their within their districts. They do not know what it is like to receive traditional grades. And so, and you also have parents now who have grown up with their uh, their 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 children with these standards-based scales. And I kind of feel like families have also, they, they realize um, the importance and the value of that. And to have that be taken away now because they've switched to a different district and all of a sudden where you may have gotten a, you know, different um, reporting on 10 different standards for ELA, now you're just going to get one letter grade that doesn't inform anything to anybody. So I think it's, you know, everybody has kind of learned throughout the process from, from educators down to the parents. Yeah, that's, it's an interesting paradigm shift that's happening uh, when the pressure for standards-based approaches are coming from parents uh, versus the school district trying to get, get buy-in from the community. Um, yeah, that, that's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, I wonder if you had like a success story that you could point out as to like, here's a great example of like where this is really working well. I'd love to hear about that. But then on conversely, um, something that uh, what really, maybe I don't want to say went really wrong, but just like a really big challenge in, in how you overcame that. Uh, a particular, like a particular example from the classroom level or? Yeah, just like a, a story when you, when someone says like, what's, you know, I know like generally speaking, what's going well, but yeah, maybe more of like a specific classroom example would be would be good i think that we're um again it took that time period for us to really understand those concepts that were happening and changing even with the common core and now that we started last year um with our because of the addition of our dual language classrooms and having to add in um the bridging piece which means you know the where you're teaching the Spanish and where you're teaching the English and so forth, we started remapping curriculum. And because our teachers do develop their own units. So we do old school, we throw out a big piece of butcher paper and um, we put all the standards of where we're going to assess them. And I think that's been a real success because it's helped us to, because the first time we did it, when we, when the Common Core came out, 
teachers were not used to developing their own units. We really called, you know, this textbook was, you know, this curriculum and this textbook was this curriculum. So that was our first time at really developing out units. Um, and I feel like we had to go through all of that um, to really get to the point where we're at now. And we're not having the same conversations. We're not we're not having the heavy debates about um, what all of the standards based piece means. The principles. The principles. The principles. Yeah, the principles of it. We're, that just doesn't exist anymore. So I I wish I could just say, oh, yeah, do this one thing. But I think it's it really is the time factor. And I really think you have to be OK with the fact of um, because no one beats themselves up more than me. And I look back, I mean, I'm tr- I'm in charge of the, all of the, the learning that happens in the school district. I take that very seriously. And um, I look back and say, oh, this and oh, that. But then I'm thinking like, I felt like we almost had to go through some of that. I don't, I don't know how to avoid some of those things because I felt like we gave time because I know that was it. But the change of concept, and I said this when we were going through it, that all of the years that I've been in education, um, which I'm heading up towards uh, 30, uh, past 30, is that I think that was that was the biggest change of time. That's when, you know, the whole technology, the one-to-one thing was happening. And then the whole standards base, we just keep going back to that. And, the, and the, all the new standards were coming out. There was just so much. It was a big shift for people's thinking. Um, so I really say uh, this time and just mapping, starting again, mapping, remapping, looking at our units. Um, I think also I'm going to go back to um, the Otis tool because teachers have been very, they weren't at quite at the beginning, but more open as I think Otis has also evolved um, which is the system um, that we are using to um, put in our, you know, our assessments and we tag standards to and we can build lessons within there. Um, it it scores assessments uh, for the teachers. You can easily bring up a rubric side by side with a paper. So that that has developed over time. And I think all of all of the things are working together now um, to make the process easier. I think personally from being, you know, from my time when I was in the classroom and then working with teachers now, it has really focused their attention on what they're assessing and why they're assessing it. So when you actually look at what it is you're about to assess a student on, whether it's formative or summative, and really seeing if that is aligned with a specific standard instead of just giving a test like would be the more traditional way. Um, It really, I think people have become much more reflective and made sure that they have a purpose for doing what it is that they're doing within the classroom. And even even though we did that the first time, like we attached standards and when we were looking at building like our common summative assessments, we, we couldn't get people to focus on that some people because there was this emotion again of just why are we doing this i don't understand this we were fine i went i mean i i've heard it all we went to school we're fine we had traditional letter grades 
Um, we use percentages and we just kept coming back to some of those things. And I think over time, as they, you know, they're seeing the shift, they see that we're not, you know, how many things in education have started and then you go back and it stopped, right? You get a new, get a new superintendent, oh, yeah. you get a new curriculum director, you get, you know, new principals. And we have, I will say, the longevity, um, the superintendent and I have been here um, the same amount of time. Our principals, many of them were teachers in the district that were then coaches and then moved up into leadership positions. We've had the same school board for a while. So I do think the consistency of leadership and consistency of people in positions that understand and buy into those uh, concepts of best practice too helps. Well, I couldn't <laughs> agree more. I've seen, um, you guys know, I, I when I worked um, my, my previous role before uh, where I'm at now, um, I worked with quite a few schools around the country and um, you would have a superintendent who came in and would start a one-to-one -one initiative. Uh, they would pass out a bunch of devices and they were heralded as this champion. And then they would leave and go to another district and behind them, they left a hot mess of, you know, it's, it's easy to buy devices mm -hmm. and pass them out. But if we don't change the way we teach, the way we grade, the way we assess, it's just a, a really expensive mm -hmm. paperweight. And so there was a lot of that going on for a time period where a superintendent would take a district to one-to-one -to -one and then just leave um, and, and kind of replicate that mess from district to district to district. So you're right. Having that, that unified vision and consistency um, is really important for you guys. And I wonder where you'd be today if, if you, know, you have one or two different superintendents in the last mm -hmm. 10 or 15 years. Well, and a lot of people are probably saying, what is the technology coordinator and the curriculum director? We work very close and with the instructional coaches. And I feel like we, Josh has to be um, part of this because he's in the middle. He understands the tech side of it, but he also gets the curriculum side. And the thing that I was most excited about is that in the, the hiccups that I would always find is that the tech people didn't understand the curriculum piece. And I needed them to understand that and be part of that um, to get, because the curriculum comes first. That is what comes first. And the learning comes first. And all that other stuff comes so that we work very close together. Um, we, we call it, it is the curriculum department. The instructional coaches, Josh is part of that, part of the curriculum department. He's part of our meetings and um, the things that we do. Yeah. I, I think we could even do a, a whole other follow-up episode on just the importance of curriculum and technology working together, uh, hand in hand, uh, the most successful schools I worked with, that was, that was the case. So one thing that you mentioned, um, that reminds me of a, a guest I recently had on, uh, are you guys familiar with Dan Ryder? Um, I, I think, uh, his, his Twitter handle is like wicked. Uh, what is it? Wicked something or another. So Dan Ryder wrote this book called intention, and it's about this idea of critical creativity. And on the podcast, he talked a lot about the importance of teachers reflecting on 
why am I doing what I'm doing and why am I doing it the way that I'm doing it? And you mentioned how it costs teachers to be much more reflective. So I would say um, I'll, I'll do an online, like a Twitter intro uh, for you guys. And he's doing some really amazing work. The book that he wrote is all these different activities that teachers can do um, based on that idea of asking themselves, like, why am I doing this uh, assessment? Why am I giving homework? Why am I doing this assignment? And and putting much more intention in what they're doing. And the book provides this really great framework and different examples of like practical uh, applications to, you know, take this more intentional approach to teaching and learning. So I'd love to introduce I, you I just looked him up actually online. Wicked Decent Learning. I'm going to order this. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. That's what it is. Go ahead. He actually, uh, I was just going to say he, he actually was um, uh, a finalist for the Horace Mann, uh, you know, educator of the, the year kind of award um, at being one of the top five right. educators in the country. So he, yeah. he's definitely yeah. got some chops and um, is a really cool dude. Really funny. Uh, he actually has like a background yeah. in stand up, and he incorporates <laughs> a lot of that. Uh, into his teaching. He's he's a big design thinking uh, educator. So really, really cool dude, but you know, an awesome educator also. So um, we'll, we'll have to make sure. Well, and we also didn't even really talk about, um, that's the one thing at the beginning of uh, working with teachers too. And the one thing is if you, if you don't have a relationship with them, not, none of the rest of this matters, right? And I know we hear that, but it's so true. Like it doesn't matter. They don't care about standards. They don't care about anything if they're you don't have a relationship and if their home life is a mess and you're not connecting with them, um, you got to figure that out. And uh, there was an article that I had shared with them um, uh, and it was talked about the skill, the will and the thrill. I can't remember. Do you remember who wrote that? Um, but, you know, you have the, the skill, but if they don't have the will and the thrill, to learn and to keep that going, then it doesn't really matter the skill piece. So that was sort of like the backup. Um, yeah. That whole piece. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, when I get um, the Greg Wolcott episode recorded, I'll uh, just give you guys a heads up. He oh. wrote a book about relationships and it's, it's so in line with, with what you're talking about, not just relationships with teachers, but then how does that yeah. look differently yeah. with students and with parents and, and so on and so forth? Right. Um, cool. Well, listen, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I feel like I could talk okay. to you guys for a few more hours and, and maybe six or 12 months down the road. I think it'd be fun to have you back on the, the podcast and just kind of, you know, we kind of talked about where you are now and then to follow up, you know, six or 12 months down the road would be a lot of fun just to, you know, find out like where are things going, where are you at, um, how have things progressed. So before we go, there's a couple of questions I like to ask everyone because it's always fun to hear um, how people answer the same question. Um, so one of them is that uh, if, if there was one education buzzword that you could get rid of, uh, what would that be? Oh, I need I need a moment for that. You know, like a buzzword that's really misleading and there's a lot of talk about it, but it's kind of ambiguous and not really helpful to or, or productive uh, to the kind of conversation of where we're trying I to I probably go. have a couple. 
Um, you can only choose one. I know. Uh, <laughs> Mine would probably be rigorous. I just think that we've just overdone <laughs> that, and it's like, yeah, that would probably be, that would probably be mine. Would be. Rigorous. Yeah, and I I only chuckle because that's like the third or fourth. Yeah, time and what that, you know, what is the rigor, is and so. what is the you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh my gosh. I, this is really hard. <laughs> I tried to, yeah. And that's okay. We can come yeah. back. I'll use my good teacher wait time. I gave you a prompt that the question's okay, coming and then we'll good. circle back. How about that? You're going to have to slice okay. and dice that. Um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um, the next question then is if there's one um, tweet, let's just say tweet because I know we're all real familiar with that, but it could be for any social media platform, but really like one tweet, one that's a message that's short and concise. Doesn't have to be exactly 280 characters. I won't hold you to that. But if there's one tweet that you could send out that everybody, every educator would hear, what, what do you think that would be? What kind of message would you send? Mine would probably include the piece of relationships with kids, like building those relationships and the why. Why are we here? Why did we go into education? Um, why? And, and it's a service profession. Sometimes I think we forget that. We went into it as a service. We're serving families and we're serving students. And why? What is our purpose? Yeah, so kind of going back to that that intention and reflection. Well, I was going to say mine would probably have yeah. to do something with being reflective and understanding of what it is that you want your students to accomplish. Um, I think something that educators are known to do is that we necessarily don't always practice what we preach we want our students to do. We should probably be doing the exact same thing in regards to problem solving, reflecting, uh, you know, thinking things through and why it is we're doing what we're doing. Correct. Yeah, I mean, we, we are all lifelong learners, right? Mm -hmm. So taking, taking that learning and what, you know, you need to continue to develop and grow professionally yourself. But it's definitely over 280 characters. Yeah, and that's okay. If if we had words, I used a tiny URL that directed them to a website that had my blog post. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. A quick, quick little catchy title, and then here's uh, here's the blog post. Awesome. Well, listen, guys. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was really insightful, and uh, I will ask you if it's okay if you have. Any great resources, any book recommendations? Um, you know, you mentioned Leanne Young and Lisa Westman. If there's, you know, a group of people like that that have been influential in shaping your thoughts about standards-based learning, if you guys wouldn't mind shooting me an email with some of that stuff, and then I will put it in the show notes so then people can go back and access those people or those good. resources okay. later on. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Thanks again. Um, hopefully we'll, uh, see each other soon. And if all not, right. I'll, thanks, I'll Eric. see you Eric. You too. Bye, Bye. Bye. Okay. Take care. 
Thanks for tuning in to the episode. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend or subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, remember if you want to join in the conversation, use the Modern Measures hashtag on Twitter or follow us. You can also find us on Facebook. Till next time, I'm Eric Patnodes, and this has been a conversation on Modern Measures of Learning.